Hello humans, welcome to Trapper Kiefer. This is episode 44 of your Power Report and I'm Dan from the internet. Episode 4420 perhaps? No, no, that's enough with the puns. But you know I love my hot takes. So here's one. Legalizing weed was a mistake. You've been told that legalizing weed is a good thing. That by taxing and regulating cannabis will reduce crime, tax revenues will fix education, and that justice will be restored to people of color who were disproportionately jailed due to America's heinous drug war. In reality, legalizing weed has made it easier for you to buy overpriced mids from a storefront designed like an Apple store. The illegal cannabis industry, the so-called legacy market, is thriving because they can undercut the legal markets in price. What used to be a community of small and medium-sized patient-focused spaces have given way to corporate finance cash that can afford the red tape of the long and daunting process to getting a legal storefront set up, let alone a chain of storefronts. And attempts to even try to even the playing field for people of color have only perpetuated inequalities and injustices and exploitation that is just another part of capitalism. So this is a lot to break down, but I'll do it in about an hour and it's going to make a lot of sense by the end. So joining me to help me explain this thesis is Rico Lamite. I'm the founder of Cannavision Global Decentralized Media Broadcast Organization and also the co-host and producer at the State of Cannabis News Hour, where you can get your daily dose. Listen, I love my hot takes, but another thing I love even more, honestly, what I love even more are little lessons and little stories that teach you about bigger ideas. So... This upcoming podcast is about how weed teaches us about how Democrats do, or rather don't, do politics. And stick to the end, because Rico's personal story and his upbringing from where he grew up to what successes he got into trying to go into the cannabis industry is actually a big lesson about the big idea of reparations and why that's the only viable option to right the wrongs of the drug war. It's a really heavy subject, and I know even the topic of reparations makes people uncomfortable. And so in order for me to address this kind of topic in a Dan from the Internet style way, it had to be in a way that provides enough context to where by the time I even bring up reparations, which isn't until near the latter half of this episode, it's one of the only things that makes sense. Because you'll understand the context of what else is going on around the world, all the context that leads up to why reparations are justified. But again, this is going to be mostly a conversation about cannabis. And there's a reason I'm using the word cannabis or weed or pot even, although I find that a little bit outdated, um, and not the phrase marijuana. And that's something I want to address right here too, because we barely, if at all, use the phrase marijuana, and that's very purposeful. Folks who work in the cannabis industry avoid using the phrase marijuana because that term has direct ties to America's racist drug war, specifically racial propaganda in from the 1940s, dating at least as far back as that, that tried to tie uh, cannabis to this, you know, drug that uh, illegal immigrants from Mexico were bringing in and going crazy to wreak havoc in America. And that wreak havoc often meant terrorizing white people. So given that history, given that context of marijuana not having anything to do with 
cannabis or hemp or anything to do with the drug whatsoever only being used as a scare tactic in a political campaign people within the cannabis industry try not to use that kind of phrasing so uh having been surrounded by it for a while uh rico and i do not another term we use in here a lot is social equity social equity describes a really important concept these are programs in cannabis with the intent of righting the wrongs that have been done historically in the cannabis industry to black people, Latino people, uh, Asian people, Pacific Islander folks, um, indigenous people, people who were disproportionately criminalized during the drug war and disproportionately put in prison for nonviolent drug offenses, whether it's possession of cannabis or distribution or selling of small amounts of cannabis or even medium to large amounts of cannabis these are ultimately drugs that or actions these are ultimately actions that now have a legal framework in many of these states in the united states and that number is only growing and some of these states like california represent some of the largest economies in the world so it's a justification the united states a legal basis to do these things Yet, just 10 years ago, 15 years ago, hell, as recently as today, this 420 in 2022, in many parts of this country, people are being arrested for cannabis when no one should be in jail for cannabis. That's a good definition of social equity, but it's important to note that these efforts that have been pushed in large part by Democrats who may have seen themselves to be well-meaning have not only fallen short, but have been weaponized by major corporate interests and major political interests to get anything but social justice more on that in a bit and lastly earlier on the show we described three bills the big three are the more act the cannabis administration and opportunity act and the states reform act i'll let the podcast do most of the work but definitely want to keep track of those three because um those lead a lot of the conversation really the first two we spend most of the time in the beginning of the podcast talking about but the states reform act we revisit a lot proposed by nancy mace who is a member of the house representing south carolina's first district rico misspeaks early on in the episode and calls her a senator she's a member of the house representatives and this is a republican kind of pro-business legalization angle. Nancy Mace is a Republican, and it would relax federal rules for moving cannabis between states, but would still leave it to be federally illegal, to my knowledge. And it would basically leave legalization as an issue up to the states to decide. And as we'll talk about this in, later in the episode, it's a really pro-business kind of angle on these different things. It's important to have the context with all of those bills. Me and Rico really go into this and have a really lively conversation about the real politics behind all of this. I'm really glad to be able to release this interview on 420 to make your cannabis knowledge a lot smarter than a lot of people who haven't really updated their thinking on this since uh, cannabis was legalized in a lot of the major blue states about 10 years ago. So it's a really a continuous battle that, like many things in American politics, are constantly being fought against, and the Democrats are doing nothing about it. 
Last few things before we get started. Full disclosure, I do work with Rico on the side. Um, I've been, uh, I guess he's been a client of mine for the past year or so when I do content consulting kind of work. I don't pull any punches with this interview and he, I didn't prep him for this interview in, in the uh, lead up to this, but this is a subject matter that he knows decently well. And so I want to leave that out there just for transparency's sake. I don't think I'm doing a light interview on here, but I also don't think the interview is necessarily about him. It's about the stuff that he knows a lot about and the interview has been lightly edited for clarity in some parts where like there's um you know it's kind of us trailing off when i want to get the conversation focused here so that's why you might notice some edits here or there but that's pretty much it lastly before we get started make sure you can help grow power report by subscribing to youtube.com slash dan from the internet for more of that uh go to powerreport.world on Instagram or PowerPoint WRLD. That's PowerPoint WRLD on Twitter. And on the audio face side of things in the Syncate 23 network, we did a bonus episode with Rico talking about Genius, the Kanye West documentary. That's also a very lively conversation. Make sure you check that out as well. Um, we also talked about LCD sound system, a lot of stuff on Coachella, and a bunch of bonus episodes that Syndicate 23 members get first. Thank you for supporting us, and you can be- join us and continue to support us by coming to join.syndicate23.co. Thank you, and so here's that interview. So Rico, thank you very much for joining me in an unusual context. I mean, we do phone calls and shit like pretty much every week in a work context, but to join me on my podcast to talk about uh, politics for a little bit, to dance to that dangerous game, <laughs> really appreciate you taking the time out. But we're going in what I think is going to be a very interesting angle for a lot of my audience. And it's an episode I've been really wanting to do of my two big episodes this year. This is one about the first half this year. This is the one I really want to do one on cannabis. And then another one later this month on another topic people will find out about soon. But the main premise is that Democrats, I think the belief is that Democrats are doing a good job when it comes to pushing things forward on legalizing cannabis on the drug war overall. We now have movements towards finding out what psychedelics can do in a medicinal sense to help people with post-traumatic stress or other forms of healing. And there's this ongoing belief that, oh, the Democrats are at the forefront of this uh, overall movement to be more progressive with drugs. And you would even be fooled to believe this this is past week when we're recording this because the house that's largely controlled by democrats voted on party lines more or less to pass the marijuana opportunity reinvestment and expungement act or the more act um which would remove marijuana from the list of scheduled substances and establish a process to expunge prior cannabis convictions it would also impose a federal tax on marijuana products five percent excise tax for the first two years increasing one percent incrementally each year in the next three years like i said the house voted voted pretty much on party lines on this and of the few that exist there aren't many cannabis stocks because you know it's still very a dicey market but that didn't budge on the news the more act was previously attempted to be passed um like last year and of course it made it through the house it did not make it through the senate because as you have covered very often on cannavision and state of cannabis news hour what you have in the situation is the house can do whatever it wants to like exist in a lot of the politics but when it comes to the senate it's very entrenched with business and money and 
people trying to get access and power on both the Democratic side and the Republican side. So you've been saying this for a while, back when we had the original instance of the Moore Act last year uh, coming, you were sounding the alarm going, not only uh, is this not going to pass, but Republicans are probably going to make it first to cannabis legalization before Democrats, which could open up an entire floodgates for an industry that could be useful to the Democratic Party as a constituency could now be given away to the right at at the exact time when Democrats need more votes in the midterms. They need to do everything they can to make sure Joe Brandon stays in office if that's the amount of power they want. And so it looks like, once again, it's a story Power Report folks are familiar with, and Rico's laughing along, so I know he is too. Uh, Democrats are about to fumble the bag, and everyone's falling asleep to what's about to happen. So uh, Rico... Can, can, you, can you tell us why, in summation, we shouldn't get our hopes up about the Moore Act and some of the little details that I was describing earlier? How much time you got, Dan? <laughs> <laughs> it's a podcast, baby. Keep going. Right. I mean, so the Moore Act is the second time it was passed. Um, I wrote in our newsletter this morning, we have a weekly newsletter goes out. I'm going to get started uh, doing that again uh, by popular demand because I can only say so much. Uh, about five minutes to talk on the on, on the radio every morning. So <sighs> got to push out more information. Um, it's the second time it was passed. The Safe Banking Act was actually passed six times um, as well. It just seems that everything makes its way through the House and nothing even hits the Senate floor, um, whether it's Safe Banking or the MORE Act. The MORE Act is pretty much DOA. And this, just for the to, for folks in the audience, the Safe Banking Act would have made it yep. so cannabis businesses can yeah. do b- business with banks because right now it's federally yes. legal. So a lot of these businesses are operating in cash. It makes an already dangerous game that much more dangerous. Correct. So yeah, the Safe Banking Act, uh, the Secure and Fair Enforcement Act, um, SAFE, um, Earl, Por- uh, Earl Perlmutter out of Colorado, um, is generally prohibits a federal banking regulator from penalizing um, anybody for banking with cannabis companies, right? Um, It sounds like a no-brainer. That's why it's been passed six times uh, bipartisanly uh, on the House. Um, But um, it's been blocked by Schumer, uh, Wyden, and and, uh, Cory Booker um, on the uh, Democrat side, and and for good reason, too. And uh, I'll get into that. So uh, basically, the pros of it are it's going to it would po- it would pave the way for large banks to serve uh, cannabis businesses. Um, a lot of people are supporting it or saying that it's going to stop a lot of the violence and crime uh, that's happening in the cannabis community. Um, but on the flip side of that, like you're putting a, you're putting a bandaid on a knife wound. Uh, right. I, I, yeah, momentarily it would help out a couple of cannabis businesses, but those people who are getting robbed and murdered would get m- robbed and murdered regardless, probably in the same neighborhoods. Less than four percent of business owners in the industry are black. Right. So they need to fix things on the banking side. They need to fix things in the communities before they start casting stones and, and, and claiming that people are getting murdered because a bill won't get passed. Bullshit. Um, the Moore Act, um, I like to call it the uh, the More or Less Act. <laughs> um, it didn't. I mean, it went through the uh, the House the first time, and they put all like twenty five different amendments into that thing, like the day before it went out. And they totally neutered the bill. It's totally a shell of what it once was. Um, but it's 
what people say a step in the right direction. I'm not a fan of incremental change. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of changing shit now because uh, people are still continuing to die. People are still continuing to get arrested. Um, the drug war wages on. Um, the thing with the, uh, the Moore Act and what's going to get a lot of people up in arms right now is the fact that it contains the Safe Banking Act. The Safe Banking Act is also, also built into the Moore Act, so a lot of Republicans can't say shit about being against the Moore Act. Um, but Nancy Mace already is, and I'll get to her in a second. <laughs> and, um, I love how we got angles. We're just like, no, no, this is layered. Let me go in. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're in the right place. <laughs> right. But um, since the Senate is 50-50 split, uh, anybody who dissents on either side for the Moore Act is, is just not going to pass, period. So that's, it's, it's, de- it's DOA. None of the Republicans are going to vote for uh, the Moore Act. And out of the um, Democrats in the Senate are going to vote for the Safe Banking Act. So both bills are dead on arrival when um, they reach the floor. They're, none of them are even going to reach the uh, president's desk. All right. So the States Reform Act is what Nancy Mace is coming up with. And um, I believe we're going to see that before we see Chuck Schumer and um, see the details of that um, in a finalized form uh, before it's uh, voted on, um, before we see the COAOA the worst acronym in the history of fucking life. <laughs> That's what Chuck Schumer, uh, Cory Booker, and Ron Wyden are coming, uh, coming R- out with. Really fast, I want to get into that, because the yes. Cannabis Administration and Opportunity Act, the CAOA, and it's <laughs> uh, Chuck Schumer's bill, which, you know, because Chuck Schumer is now a political, he's trying to angle himself as the person who is the Biden whisperer, the person who is going to take the progressive wis- wants and dreams and can bring that to Joe Biden's desk. He yes. promised that on... Uh, voting rights regulation or voting rights reforms got nowhere he promised that with the george floyd accountability and policing act i have a totally different segment about how the democrats just callously uh use the names of fallen black people for their political propositions uh nevertheless (laughs) that didn't pass either student debt relief we have yet to hear anything about that as well so chuck schumer has been talking a big game and he mostly talked he mostly talks a big game about his own political initiatives at the um, disadvantage to people who have actually been doing the work and understand the pros and cons of these initiatives way more than some politicians swooping in the story last minute who's up for re-election and so definitely wants to be in the forefront of things way more than any of those politicians actually understand it. So as you were saying, you were talking about this new um, act in composition in contrast to what the states are working on. Correct. And uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, Chuck, Chuck Schumer is. Um... What a guy. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> I really like it when he adjusts his, his specs <laughs> just to the tip of the nose or is it on the bridge? It's tip the bridge. At the that's podium. How you can tell. That's, how you, that's how you can tell. That's his, that's his thumb point. <laughs> I tell you what, he has, he has a he's a library's past behind him. <laughs> let's see. Um, so the, the the states reform act. That's Nancy Mace. Uh, let's get to that first because Chuck Schumer and um, uh, yeah, Chuck Schumer, uh, Cory Booker, and Ron Wyden. I mean, we can talk about that. The C O A, the COAOA. Um, <laughs> that thing is is pretty much the more act with more taxes. <laughs> it's not going to pass. <laughs> like, 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 there's less taxes. You have a better chance of getting the more act passed uh, in a Republican Senate than you do with the COAOA. 
And he keeps on saying, oh, it's coming soon. It's going to be finalized soon. Like, it's a bunch of fucking vaporware. And they might as well just unite on the more Act <laughs> because it's a waste of people's fucking time. So the Stage Reform Act, as <laughs> Nancy Mace, Republican uh, freshman senator uh, from um, uh, South Carolina, I actually think that one is going to pass. And, um, and here's why. Uh, midterms are coming up. And Democrats ain't got shit. <laughs> so and the Republicans are left holding the ball and will win by default. And um, so the States Reform Act has not been voted on yet. Uh, she hasn't even brought into uh, brought to the uh, the floor in its full glory uh, yet. But it's bottom up legislation um, and it's seeking to decriminalize cannabis and remove um, uh, from Schedule One status and pretty much regulating the plant like alcohol. So it's pro business. Um, it's most comprehensive bill yet, um, providing goodies for both sides. None of the biggest things for the um, for the uh, Democrats, but they had their chance and they lost it. Um, and there's nothing in it at all about social equity. So businesses love that. Um, it's only federal uh, level criminal justice that's being addressed. Um, it's, it's, it's the bare minimum they have to do. So they love that. And um, it's just a big business bill. It's backed by the Koch brothers, Americans for Prosperity, and it's backed by Amazon <laughs> as well. So not even trying to dress thing, this thing up as if it's not big business friendly. They, they, they want it to be like big business. They want it to be like big pharma, big alcohol, and they want to regulate it as such. I think it's probably going to pass or it's just going to get vetoed to death um, until um, just Republicans take over the whole thing. So, I mean, if, if it passes the Senate and the uh, the House, I, I could see Joe Biden vetoing the shit out of this thing um, if he lives throughout the rest of his presidency. And, um, and uh, <laughs> just saying. And uh, at the end of it, the reality is um, Republicans got the ball. They, Republicans are on the sticks. And the Democrats did not do a damn thing uh, Joe Biden has not even mentioned cannabis. Uh, cannabis, realistically, outside of Ukraine, it could if it's if it's not a solution, it's actually adding to the solutions to a lot of the issues that he's had in his presidency so far. Infrastructure. You have uh, hempcrete. You have all these uh, natural disasters, all these fires and everything. The science is there. The patents are there. But all of our patents are getting shipped overseas, uh, creating a huge hemp production uh, uh, economic war before it even has to happen is it's going to become self-fulfilling prophecy next thing you're going to see is this global hemp boom and america's gonna be like oh they took our jobs <laughs> right all of our jobs are shipped overseas why because nobody's producing shit um, as far as hemp goes in america and the jobs that are being taken care of here are um they're not sustainable so uh, uh, cannabis is sustainable. Cannabis is medicine. It's curing things that were never cured before. Um, I covered a segment this past week uh, on the pharmaceutical side of the industry uh, because the the FDA and FTC are going after some CBD companies for pointing to articles showing the promise of CBD um, um, and uh, COVID research or some shit like that is like blocking COVID um, uh, in some test trials that they were doing, and they sent them a cease and desist. And um, a sternly worded joint letter from both of them saying that they will be, uh, there will be consequences for giving out false information and blah, 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 blah. You know how many, yearly, do you know how many recalls on drugs the FDA has had? 1,279 on average since 2012, since they started recording these things. Um, 
all the FDA doesn't necessarily go hard in the paint when it's Pfizer or or any of these other large companies. There's there's six approved FDA approved Alzheimer's uh, treatments. None of them have had any any positive effects. No positive tests. Ever. Nothing treats fucking Alzheimer's. <laughs> there are preliminary, I should watch where I say this shit, but there are preliminary test <laughs> results showing that, guess what helps Alzheimer's patients? <laughs> <laughs> Cannabis. You can't even talk about that shit in America. They're talking about it over in Germany. They're talking about it in Israel because they can talk about that shit, but we have a gag order even pointing to scientific studies. 36 FDA recalls have happened uh, um, uh, since COVID began. But they keep on pushing through all these provisional, you know, uh, bullshit, you know, emergency assessments. Do that shit for cannabis. Let motherfuckers try some shit. They won't even allow companies point to these articles anymore. That's the kind of censorship we're dealing with. Um, so they want to control the message. They want it to be big business. They want it to be big government, government, and they want it to be top down. And we're hurting because of it. People are not getting their medicine. Yeah, there's so much of that I want to get into. And I really want to, like, dig into that. And so top level, I think there are two big factors of this we need to define for the audience because yes on the one level if there are and the two things i don't know if you agree with me with this are taxes and social equity because yes. regardless of whatever happens in any of these um any of these like policy proposals these mm-hmm. two things are going to keep coming up we're looking at cannabis right now it's a schedule one drug because this is the way it's treated uh for the record ketamine is schedule three <laughs> All right. It is it is far easier to legally obtain ketamine on a federal level than it is to legally get cannabis on a federal level. All right. Uh, Coke and meth are scheduled two, which means it is easier on a federal level to obtain Coke and meth than it is to get cannabis, which is insane. If you live in a state that has long legalized cannabis, it's insane if you're a person like me who not to date you, Rico, but just to prove a point, my entire lifetime save for like six months, cannabis has been at least medicinally legal in the state of California. So like mm-hmm. me and like, I'm a pretty old zoomer. Like everyone under me has only known legal cannabis in the state of California. So this idea that it's a, it's more dangerous than Coke or meth. Like if you want to talk about what has an impact on uh, kids using drugs more, which has generally been going down by the way, because cannabis usage has kind of gone up potentially, but right. The, the thing that got people kids to use drugs was adults telling them, oh, stay away from alcohol, even though we're drinking it. Oh, stay away from cannabis, even though it's way less dangerous than all the other drugs we're talking about. And so they go, OK, well, let's try all the other drugs. And then they start to learn the tough lessons. Right. So there's this top down disconnect between how we communicate uh on a federal level what is safe for people what isn't safe for people by the way it's really funny that we do this when we live in a country where you had to argue with people on taking an antidote for a pandemic for COVID-19 <laughs> and we're still having this cannabis argument like this should be a hey don't tell me what to put or not put in my body I'm gonna it, like but right I don't want to get too sidetracked from this because yeah. what I getting into the whole thing of like taxes versus social equity are the two big things you need to kind of understand from this is that when the big sell of states like California that were really early to legalize cannabis was to say that by legalizing it, by decriminalizing it, you know, in open term quotes here, 
we will take it off the streets. We'll make it so it is less of a dangerous market. We'll make it so it's less of a danger on the streets. And we'll provide a legal way so that this stuff is making money anyways. It's making hand over fist money for the drug dealers. Let's make some of that money for the government in the form of taxes. And hey, you're worried about kids in schools and stuff? We'll use the taxes and we'll use that to pay for education. And so it seemed like this magic perfect thing. But, you know, and... It felt, politicians loved it. You got legalization in the early aughts, not just uh, medicinal marijuana, but recreational cannabis in mm-hmm. states like California and Colorado on this guise of we'll just tax it to hell and we'll get rid of crime and we'll make the schools better. We've had a couple of years of that. And here's what you found. The taxes have continued to climb up and the illegal market not only still exists, but they're thriving because they're able to undercut the legal market. And so... That's something I feel like you can get into as well, where as we're getting to this whole like legacy industry movement to the legal industry, which legacy is just a euphemism for the trap game. But how harmful is it when these politicians, oftentimes they're Democrats, approach cannabis with a, oh, we can tax it and we can also at the same time decrease the effect of the criminal element of cannabis to it like like how much is that at odds with each other and how have you seen that continually go at odds people think that you know like motherfuckers ain't hurting <laughs> the trap will never die <laughs> because the taxes are too damn high <laughs> right so it's the easiest way to put this man uh, big bank eat little bank and um, the only ones with the runway to actually survive this glut of taxes is these MSO, these multi-state operators, um, which a lot of them are just shell companies for big oil, uh, big oil, uh, shell companies for big tobacco, big alcohol. Sometimes they're just outright owned by those large entities and those large corporations, those large uh, industries. They're just waiting because they have the, the run. They have the runway to wait. They can, they can last as long as they want. They can go five years without making any profit. But that's not my issue. My, I'm okay with that if you call a spade a spade. Pardon the, uh, the um, racism. I, 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 I Pardon believe it's allowed on, I believe it's allowed in this one context. Yeah. But um, no, I, I just call, call it what it is. Don't fucking get people's hopes up uh, thinking that they're going to get an opportunity to get a crack at, at this thing because that's what people that's what people are doing right now. They go into this this game thinking, oh, yeah, there's an opportunity to right the wrongs of the war uh, on drugs. Like, no, that's not happening, period. They're, they're, just, they're just going slow, slow, slow enough, and then they change the entire rules. They change the whole system, this whole social equity thing. I, I, we're going to dive a little deeper in that in a second, but... Um, it, it's just a shiny object and it's distracting people and it's getting them to come out of the darkness so they know exactly who these people are. They're going to award a few licenses to a few people are going to squeak by, but they're going to be playing the game that they were never meant to win, period. You can't compete against multi-billion dollar corporations when you, you just Malik from the street. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? She's a Hector from the block. Like You, you, you can't. Period. And if you're going to get up 
to that position, to that level, you have to be one of these corporations. Um, just like you said, like, I've been saying this for years. I've been trying to let people know you have to see the big picture and you have to find a way to infiltrate those large companies or, or, or find a way to actually become one of those uh, large companies or you're just not going to be able to compete. The game was already like, like sewn up. And social equity, I absolutely love, love, love social equity. I love uh, the philosophy of social equity. I love... Uh, the tenants, the core tenants of what we built social equity to be um, from uh, from the jump here in California. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's a buzzword. Um, social equity is, is, is supposed to be righting the wrongs of the war on drugs and, and the ills that came from it, targeting black and brown communities. Well, guess what? Here in California, there is no affirmative action. You can't do anything business related that is more beneficial explicitly in law, uh, more beneficial to black or brown people, period. So the meaning of social equity right off the bat is diluted, if not just null and void from the fucking jump. <laughs> so you can't say it's going to help out black and brown communities. You can say, oh yeah, it helps those who are affected by the war on drugs. So how do you measure those parameters? Some people are saying zip codes, but you know what? Everything's fucking gentrified now. I got four fucking white people. I live in South Central LA. I got four white people moved across the street from me in the last year. <laughs> so uh, if you go by zip codes, you're going to have a bunch of rich white people in there. Um, then you have people, other uh, targeted or um, protected classes of citizens that believe that they deserve their due as well. And so that's when it gets dicey. You know, my plight was worse than yours. It, 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 go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I want to do this is like, I want to paint the big picture here. So like you have on yeah. the top level, like the the war on drugs was fought yes. on like against people of color, essentially, because selling drugs and doing like and dealing drugs like is it wasn't great but people were using these things and the government yeah. is fairly arbitrarily deciding these are the drugs that you can put um labels on and sell the sell with doctors and hospitals and these are the drugs that the reagan administration is pushing to the streets or these are the drugs that we are going to criminalize and right. prosecute right, right and yeah. so henry, henry alsinger all the way up to <clears throat> henry alsinger um edgar hoover j edgar hoover um, Richard Nixon, and then it was, um, uh, you know, H.W. Bush, <laughs> like, <laughs> the, master, the originator, <laughs> and then Bill Clinton, I, Joe, I, Joe Robinette. <laughs> yeah, in the Senate, Joe Biden has his hands on this with a drug war. But so you have that history going through the 70s, 80s, and 90s. You have people of yeah. color who are doing, um, who laugh, are selling let's focus on cannabis right now they're selling weed yeah. they're getting arrested for it for yep. even carrying it or even using it they're getting arrested for it thrown in jail for 30 40 years sometimes and then all mm -hmm. of a sudden the late 90s you have states like california and colorado and things like that that start to legalize it on some level what you get is you have these corporations who have a lot of money to begin with who mm -hmm. are able to outplay the people who are trying to say okay I'm trying to go into the legal market. I'm trying to adapt things and get better. It, mm -hmm. it, it creates that barrier because you have, like in other aspects of society, these really big corporations 
who are able to outplay the little guy. The little guy in this place to add insult to energy, in injury happens to be people of color who have already been, their community's been ravaged by the drug war and the over-criminalization of this thing that has now all of a sudden become legal. The extra benefit to that is that all of these intentions to make the business more equitable are null and void due to state laws or they're used as, I think you're about to get this in the future, they're used by these big, largely white corporations that have the money as cudgels, that they're used as chess pieces or p props in order mm -hmm. to make their own business practices look better. Because you'll have cases where you have um, big co corporations buy smaller companies with social equity licenses, promise board seats to those people, and then they just never get he get here from again so basically these corporations are buying them for the licenses s throwing up a black power fist and a pride flag somewhere saying we're down with the community and then at the end of the day uh throwing everyone aside so the and this is what i'm kind of getting at is that this is the structure that democrats have made right yes. this is this is the watered down policy you've gotten that hasn't been like go from someone like i think Obama could have made a good case for trying this, uh, like going <laughs> could to the front. Really could he really? <laughs> the, the, there's an eternal debate for like how far he could have gone, but he was the last president who like had the ability to, as the Democrats, to say, "Look, like yeah. on a federal level, this needs to be addressed because it's a patchwork if you leave it up to the states." You, you know, you know the great, the craziest thing about all this is Obama could have spoken his truths about it and it could have been so much more of a formidable superhero to so many people uh, because he was a recreational drug user and yeah. you know what it, it, he could have done so much more good for people for the decriminalization decriminalization movement and not in a selfish way like oh yeah obama obama smokes drugs <laughs> no nothing like that but like americans they take drugs. They like to relax. They like to do their own thing. They like to control their own fucking bodies, right? And they like to experiment with shit. They, they like to expand their minds, like all different kinds of shit, you know? And, and the craziest thing that I'm seeing right now is such a shift in the cannabis industry of, of all these hippies and everything. They're all fucking turning conservative now, man. It's just like right in front of our eyes. Like you go up to Ukiah, you go up to the, the Emerald Triangle up north in California, you're going to have a bunch more conservatives than uh, any of these liberals because liberals, have, they've fucked over people even more. And uh, the black communities in particular, we have pledged at the very least 30 years straight up to Democrats and Democrat leadership and all that stuff thing is going to help us. And it hasn't. And and, and people, need, people are going to find out real quick. I think more people are finding out. Um, there's a lot of willful ignorance and the people who are still following, you know, the cues and the people who are still following Donald Trump and that, all that shit faithfully. I'm not talking about, you know, the anarchists out there, like, <laughs> that want to burn shit down. I'm not talking about, like, like, the people who are, you know, the quote-unquote protest votes. I'm talking about the real fucking followers. Like, those people are, you know he's fucking lying to you. And, and your struggle is Black America's struggle. Poor white America struggle is Black America struggle. Poor brown America struggle is Black America struggle. And once people start realizing that more in mass, they'll realize 
that none of these motherfuckers are shit, like at all. Like this whole passing of legislation right now and passing of the torch from the the, the Democrats to the Republicans that we're seeing uh, that's about to happen at the midterms, it's just going to wipe out cannabis altogether. And how crazy is it going to be 10, 20 years from now when cannabis legalization is in, you know, the CRT whitewashed history books of America's future, <laughs> you're going to see, and this is actually going to be true history, it's going to be the, 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 mo- the three most influential people in the history of cannabis uh, de- deregulation, cannabis uh, uh, industry overall is going to be A, John Boehner, B, Mitch McConnell, and C, <laughs> the Koch brothers, <laughs> whichever one's still alive. I don't even know that David or Charles, whatever, whatever that motherfucker is. He is backing. He is the power. He, is the, he put the Duracell in the back of Nancy Mace, letting her pop off at the mouth and become a, a smarter, <laughs> more restrained Sarah Palin that she is uh, right now. And she's just running the fucking show. She's a, a subjectively attractive white woman from the South. Uh, she has military roots in her family, and she's saying all the right things for all these big business people to back her. And everybody's like, yeah, we don't want to hear about cannabis legislation that says anything about social equity. We don't want anything about any protected classes. We, all that's in the past now. <laughs> we didn't ruin your entire community. That, that, that happened in the past. You can't change any of that. It would have happened regardless. <laughs> One way or the other, you, you niggers would have killed each other. <laughs> <laughs> It's it, it's just fascinating how the Democrats, this is another story of the Democrats fumbling the ball, all yes. right? Because, like, you, you're you largely in the cannabis spaces, I'm largely in the politics spaces, but what I see in the politics space is, um, like, numerous situations, especially during the Donald Trump administration, best mm. example is Afghanistan. The mm. Democrats were supposed to be about, hey, we want to get the truth out of Afghanistan. We really care about this. And then Repub- and then Donald Trump became the first Republican to go, why the hell do we have troops in Afghanistan and Iraq? We should bring the troops home. We should be making America stronger, making America better again. And so you had the situation where Donald Trump is outflanking Democrats from the left and gaining advantages. Here's another example was COVID relief. All right. Like. Everyone's blaming Democrats and Joe Biden for COVID for like uh, boosting the economy with uh, f- and like boosting inflation. A, all of the COVID relief happened most under Donald Trump. But B, Donald Trump kind of outflanked the Democrats to the left by saying, let's just give out money to people who need it so they don't have to go anywhere and go home. Like it, it was an instance where like yeah, it's, a, it's, it's really funny that you say that shit, right? Because Donald Trump gave welfare. <laughs> he made us all welfare queens. It felt good, right? And, and, and these, <laughs> we're going to talk about a little bit of something in a minute here. Reparations, <laughs> right? <laughs> because, you know, they talk about reparations, whether it's going to happen here in California or not. I just like bringing it up just, just to see like physically see the hair stand up on white people's back <laughs> since I say that shit. I've been bringing it up on the news show like every day this week. And then the conservatives on the show are like, it's not going to happen. 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 Gonna happen. Gonna, how are you trying to attract them? How do you attract them? I just have to you. You want to... One eighth quadroon. But, but here's, here's, here's the thing, right? Like, 
if Donald Trump didn't break motherfuckers off checks, it would have been pandemonium. It would have been crazy. Chaos. Right? And you see, he just socialized the entire fucking economy. <laughs> and y'all didn't say shit. He <laughs> <Gay> motherfuckers. <laughs> but like, so to, to, my, to my point is that Democrats routinely miss the opportunity to so like, hey, w- what you're doing, like, Republicans are so good at marketing because oh, so they, so people because they can go on Fox News every single day and make everyone in the country believe that the things that Donald Trump did for them are socialism and dangerous, and that's why you should hate the Democrats. But in reality, if the Democrats were better at messaging, I have a segment later on PowerPoint about how I think um, the squad AOC should be better at messaging because when the Tea Party was in their position, they weren't getting legislative wins, but they were getting marketing wins that turned into political wins that turned yes. into legislative domination. All right. Well, what, the fuck, what the fuck happened to AOC? Like she. Did. I, I, I don't. Like, I don't want to get tangented off there because that's going to be a teaser for the later segment. But my point is that like cannabis is one of those. The reason why I love this conversation is because cannabis is one of those instances where you can paint a picture of how miserable the democratic party is at fig at like seizing an opportunity at something that's popular we like it's hard to think of that 10 years ago or like in 2005 the idea of smoking pot or weed was so controversial and dangerous they tried to take down obama during it now we have elon musk and joe rogan on a podcast doing it and republicans are cheering them on all right so we've won the culture the culture has been won but the left won't claim that victory the left won't say look at how backwards they were uh keeping us in the dark ages for this long, look at all the economic opportunities we're missing by misclassifying hemp and all those other different products you were mentioning earlier, and we can actually do something. Let's make something happen. But instead, right. the Republicans... Mitch with McConnell their- and Rand Paul. Mitch McConnell and Rand Paul run the hemp industry. <laughs> John Boehner came in this bitch. He put, I think it was like a few million dollars. That was a stake in acreage holdings when he first came in. I think it's like over worth over $200 million now. Right. These motherfuckers are throwing all kinds of black and brown folks in prison, you know, for for just possessing this shit. Right. And, and yes, they've totally outflanked the left. It is fucking embarrassing. Fucking embarrassing. And, and to me, you know, you know, how I feel about shit. <laughs> fuck them all like burn the whole thing down you're, you're, you're in the right spot on this podcast <laughs> there's, there's no growth like it's like new growth <laughs> you, know, you, know how much, you know how much dope shit that everybody else everybody can have if we just let them tear each other apart you know our, our cards and our money stops working you know how much you know how cheap shit will be over at the mall <laughs> <laughs> This is before people actually start to think of this as an actual political conversation. Like it is, we're mostly kidding, but but like so 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 what I'm what I'm getting at is is the cannabis industry is is 100 a microcosm of the greater United States. Period of mainstream America. Like they tried this bullshit social equity thing, which is a buzzword from uh, a white man, H. G. Hendrickson, uh, from uh, um, uh, Idaho. Um, a marketing buzzword. They took that and they tried to make it law a bunch of places. It can't be law pretty much anywhere. Nobody can even agree on what the word even means, what the term fully means. So if you don't have any of that, you have people just arguing back and forth from city to city, 
uh, um, county to county, state to state about what it even means. It's not going to get passed on a federal level because the Democrats haven't gotten a chance to get their shit together. All the Democrats aren't even on board for cannabis legislation. They're on board for social equity. So it's not going to pass. So what you have is legislation coming in. And this is uh, cannabis right now, I think, uh, in the U.S. is like a $76 billion industry. Um uh, with, I think that's uh, the projections uh, for the next two years, I want to say. It's like a $76 billion industry, and it's only going to get bigger. Uh, the reason why stocks aren't moving when the Moore Act passed last week, because it's some Democratic bullshit. Democrats can't get shit passed, period. Every time they talk about Safe Banking Act, because it's more Republican-loved, even though it was, it was built by a Democrat, it's it Republican-loved because it's about big banks. They get to benefit from it. Big corporations get to benefit from it. And that's when stocks, you see them getting all volatile and shit going up and down uh, because it's about the money, uh, period. The more act, like, at the end of the day, Democrats will say they got your back. They will say uh, they're going to do the right thing. But what has been happening for the last 30 years? Not a motherfucking thing. Like we just had the 25th anniversary in Dan uh, and your age. You know, I know I look a little younger than you today because I'm, you know, I've moisturized my situation. I preserved my sexy. <laughs> but the lighting's but, rough on me today, man. <laughs> but Prop 215 here in California is 25 years old. Last year, 25 years old. Right. That's when cannabis uh, um, saw its first quasi legal form here. And it was uh, um, with Prop 215 uh, with the patient's rights were taken care of and medical cannabis market was born. So uh, you really have 25 years of a quarter century of quasi legalization here in California. You had all of that time that Democrats have been in power, you know, save for it was the re one Republican we had was uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Was he ever really a Republican? Fuck no. He just didn't want to pay no fucking taxes. The continued marriage of the elite Democratic Party, the uh, establishment press, all of those people, the fact that they've been married to the status quo for years, it has an impact after one or two elections when you're ultimately sick of hearing them and you tune out. It has a real big impact over three or four elections when a whole population of people know nothing but you doing nothing. They know nothing but Democratic Party in action. And so as a result, they factor that into their calculation. They look and go, okay, where can I get results? And in a two-party system, the only other place they can get results is the big tent party where you'll get some... Uh, you know, whatever token person they're putting out of given day and the fascist that they're trying to hide in any given day. All right. So given that one side is a party that is mostly craven looking for business interests and incentives and the other side is completely and grossly incompetent. This once again calls for why what we people who are on the far left on Power Report consider, which are radical big picture solutions to different things. And so. Ooh, the, the story is going to end with the case for reparations. But before we even start with making that argument, I want to go into Rico's story. So, like, yeah. you've given TED Talks on this. You've gone through this over and over again. I've seen you go through this over and over again. One thing I hate as an interviewer is asking questions people have asked already. I like to get new things out of people. But mm -hmm. I would like you to tell 
your life story in the form of like where you grew up and the situation in which you grew up in as far as like economically speaking how you got out of that and made it into where you made it to and how that ultimately led you right up to getting to the cannabis industry and then we'll pick it up from there okay yeah um so i was born in fort belvoir virginia um on a military base my mother dropped out of college to have me uh, my grandfather was in the army, so that, that was that story. Uh, she ended up marrying my stepfather. He was in the military, moved over to Germany for five years, um, and then back to Virginia, Fluvanna County, Virginia, right outside of uh, Charlottesville, uh, Virginia. Um, a lot of that was in the news uh, back in 2017, you know, good people on both sides. That was my hometown. <laughs> um, matter of fact, the kid that I went to high school with, he's actually one who um, is Jason Kessler. He's actually the one who organized the Unite the Right rally. So a little background of where I am from um, in my upbringing. I played football at Northwestern University uh, in Chicago and uh, ended up with the, with an opioid addiction from um, uh, from football. Uh, went to team doctor with a sore throat and uh, they ended up giving me unlimited refills of Vicodin. I partied with it. Um, I didn't have much money. Uh, so I started selling the pills. Um, the next thing you know, you know, I got hurt training for the NFL um, and I was on the street, 3.2 GPA from a top 10 university at the time <laughs> and um, slang and dope dude, in Chicago. And, and it's like that that is the story of uh, I think we so often hear the you have to pull yourself up by their bootstraps kind of thing so long that bootstraps have gone out of style. But like the black sort of story is you're born the hood. You either rap, trap, or become an athlete, and, like, that's it. Or maybe, like, yeah, become some sort of celebrity, or, like, those are pretty much the thing. (laughs) Okay, okay. Um, (laughs) Album coming shortly with with, with the little child thing in the background. Check my SoundCloud, G. (laughs) Lord, no. But um, the – and if you do want an audio face bonus with Rico and I talking about Genius, we do have that a little bit later. But the aspect of that is you – even join football and you're told to put your body on the line because that is your way to really make it not just out of um, socioeconomic instability for yourself, but for your family and previous generations and for your family and future generations, right? You do that, you play through it. The team even like has an incentive to, oh, he could get addicted to these pills, but he could also play really well. So let's like fast track into that. And then when they're done with you, it crumples you up and spits you out and you're there like fending for yourself. And that's the American story and experience, regardless if you're born a military base in Virginia and like move around and become an athlete of football, or if you are white and you're born poor, like he said, or if you're... um brown you're born poor or if you're asian you're born poor like this is a class kind of experience in america where you have to try so hard to claw out of it and you're repeatedly like pulled back by the factors that are put in society in law it's not like oh racism is over all these things are done we fought all these battles no these battles continually are being fought and waged because the laws are still unfair the laws are still set up largely to protect wealth as it already exists not to make it easier for people to climb up and get more wealth for every one step forward you get in that effort to make progress and get towards um equality of opportunity you get five steps backwards so it's constantly a struggle and it's generally going backwards especially right now but we get to that point where yeah, you're sort of making it out. You're addicted to opioids, but you're like sort of yeah. getting out of that to some extent. There's a part where you're in finance. Yeah, so 
Yeah, I was. I mean, I was, I was slaying dope on the streets. I got arrested, and um, that was all it took was one Friday evening arrest for me to find out, you know, a weekend in jail. Like I am about that life. So I sold out. <laughs> I was, so I actually did teach art a little bit um, in, in Chicago, but um, and I tried to make it as a starving artist, but it's the wrong city to do that in. It's cold as fuck. So I sold out and went into corporate finance. Um, <clears throat> it was a little meandering uh, a path there for a little bit, but um, I ended up at a, um, a boutique investment firm. I was there for seven years. They moved me out here to um, uh, California. But before I moved out here, um, that's when I found cannabis as medicine. And uh, before I even knew it was really medicine, I always laughed at whenever I heard, you know, medicinal cannabis. Oh, medicinal cannabis, you mean medical weed, medical grade weed, <laughs> the best of weeds. Uh, What's next, medicinal I... cocaine? <laughs> right, you got some of that medicinal, <laughs> that medicinal grade? <laughs> <laughs> you got some of that medicinal mushrooms, medicinal acid, and, and a watch right. 10 years later. <laughs> right, and, and the, the crazy thing is that now I'm in like a little quick side note here. Crazy thing is now I'm in the cannabis industry. Like, yo, medical grade is the fucking worst shit ever. It's like the, the boofiest motherfucking weed on earth. It's like the worst. But anyways, um, I was an addict. And I was in corporate America. And it wasn't frowned upon. Uh, because you can do a line of coke. You can do. You can take a couple shots at lunch. <laughs> that, that's your breakfast. And it really wasn't frowned upon because you're performing you know you're scamming people get sales 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 that's all that matters um and um it just didn't fucking matter um people were popping pills people were doing cocaine people were were, were drinking on the job and all that matters is that you kept on feeding this machine as much as you could and you were rewarded for that um i came out to california on a business trip uh, and uh, my homeboy introduced me to his buddy who owned a dispensary and um he called me out on being an addict and um the crazy thing and is, like the, the my, way it my, happened was like it was just like yeah. on site like he just yeah. saw you didn't know you yeah. very well i'm going to pick up some medical grade <laughs> i'm going to go pick me up some cali medical grade <laughs> and uh, uh luckily i was the only one in the dispensary and the dispensary owner i won't say his name i still haven't been given permission to, to give his name um but he said you're an addict and i was like Fuck you, dude. What the fuck are you talking to like that? <laughs> but I knew that I was. And uh, if you know my personality, I really respond well, I'm like more to the challenger uh, model. You know, I'm, I'm fucked up, right? So I, abuse me. <laughs> so he came at me. He was like, you're a fucking addict. And I was like, uh, what do you mean by that? He said, the, the, the twitch that you have. Um, I recognize that. I treat a lot of people with uh, addiction issues. And um, he's like, what are you taking? I, I let him know. Like so, besides the Viking, I got her trained for the NFL. Went to the um, after I got surgery on my Achilles, um, they gave me Norco because Viking didn't work anymore. I was addicted to it already. I couldn't, uh, you know. On, on top of that, uh, I was depressed because I got fat uh, when I was training, uh, and I knew I was going to make it to the league. And they gave me Zoloft. Uh, on top of that, I'm pumped up with all these drugs and all that shit, and I can't sleep. So they gave me Ambien. And I didn't have no Obamacare back then. So I found out real quickly, you know, I'm date. Yes, I'm dating myself, Dan. <laughs> there was no Obamacare back in 06, 07. So how was I going to afford $864 a month? I hit the block. 
<laughs> I never knew I would have to do that. And then I had to sell out and go into uh, a corporate finance uh, because I thought that was the right path. And then I found out that it was just a filled with a bunch of white boys doing whatever the fuck they wanted to do, saying whatever the fuck they wanted to say to a bunch of unsuspecting people. Um, and they got paid for it. I was really, really good at that shit. And it made me a terrible fucking person, made me even more of an addict and more drugs. Uh, it didn't matter. And I was called out for the shit. And he offered me a treatment plan, like free of fucking charge. And he just told me, like, instead of these, instead of those pills, every time you have to take those pills, why don't you take three quarters of a pill? Why don't you take a half a pill and try this strain, try this tincture? He gave me a, a little bit of a plan. And I didn't believe in any medical cannabis. But I'm like, yo, like, I knew I was an addict. And if this dude who don't know me from shit is talking shit about me, about my jaw. Who knows what these bitches are going to be saying behind my back in the club. <laughs> so I was like, yo, I got to fix that shit. I'm going to try whatever whatever uh, is out there. And it worked. Nothing else fucking worked. But weed worked. It just saved my fucking life, man. Um, so three years later, after that, you know, I'm, I'm still in, you know, the, in, uh, the, the, the corporate finance realm. It really sucks, but, you know, I was making great money, and I was addicted to that shit. Uh, my marriage wasn't doing so hot. I was obese. I had uh, adult acne real bad. I was drinking like crazy still. I was still taking drugs, but it was more recreational now. I wasn't really hooked on them. <laughs> and, uh, and, That's uh, what they all say. <laughs> and, and I had a tumor. Straight up. Like uh, so, can uh, cancer runs on both sides of my family. My my biological father actually died of uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, um, and I just thought it was my time to go. And um, but my biopsy came back negative. Uh, I took a couple weeks off work, and then I just called it in. I just quit. Ten years corporate finance was at the top of my game. I was a, a branch manager at one of the biggest firms in in the world still. Um, we had uh, 46 billion assets under management uh, at my branch, and um, I quit. I walked away from it, and um, that's when I got into uh, the, into cannabis. You know, um, took the company public in here. It's kind of a sore spot uh, with me because I make no motherfucking money. <laughs> but and so, so like you, you, to to the extent yeah. you you don't have to go into that story that much, right. but right, so you, you you come out of this you overcome this you nearly yeah. die not only just yeah. from the drug addiction not only just from the like yeah. physical injury not only just from the crippling aspects of capitalism and what it does to a poor person not only just the crippling aspects of america and what it does to a black person but all those things combined and then you come out and you use all the skills and all the perseverance you have to come to the cannabis industry you're at an advantage because you did all the white schooling and, yeah. <laughs> and and do you help because you I'm take I'm an speaker. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. S sorry to bother you was we, we were the good guys. <laughs> I was that too. Yo, I I was the closer. I was the <laughs> Uh, what was the guy uh, from Power? What is his name? That guy, whoever that guy was, in in started Bali. That that was me, right? Like total fucking shell of myself, and I was really really good at it. And it and, and capitalism made me into that person. I was never that person, and it sucked. I was on that fucking hamster wheel, and and it, it they gave me just enough, just enough of a taste of that what they call success, you know. To stick in that bitch, right? And, and 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 so I quit. And I thought I could take all of that good energy. I thought I excuse me, all the good 
training and really transform a lot of people in the cannabis industry only to find out this is the same shit in a different toilet, man. Like straight up, like, like the cannabis industry now, I've been in on the legal side now for six, a little over six years. And um, it's corporate finance, like all over again. You have uh, the same white people, uh, the same white structure, this, people are getting fucked over. And social equity, what, like, what could have been a beautiful thing, it, it's just been so bastardized and it's been stripped and nobody can agree on what it is. So all of these white boys that came in here, there's nothing wrong if, if, if you're a white person. I hope people, you know, I know your audience isn't as familiar with me, um, but uh, there's nothing wrong with white people and white people prospering and anything like that. But the war on drugs was a targeted hit on the black community, period. If you're going to have these multi-billion dollar corporations um, capitalizing off of these communities that it is harmed perpetually for generations, then you need to give these people their due. And if you're not going to give these people their due, um, uh, as you said you will through the war on drugs, through social equity initiatives, tell the people you're not going to give it to them. Quit wasting their fucking time and write those those motherfucking reparation checks. Straight up. Write us our fucking checks. Run us our money. You saw what happened during the fucking pandemic. I'm not talking about the riots and all that shit. I'm talking about the stimulus checks. Motherfuckers were ecstatic over $1,400 a fucking month. <laughs> For like two and a half months. Like, like, like what the fuck? And, and these motherfuckers... The average... Really fast. So the average American cannot survive a $400 emergency. Straight up. Including myself. <laughs> yes, us included. Right. So so for, for them to say, like, oh, yeah, we can't afford Like, oh, you can't afford what? You motherfuckers just broke off $14 trillion motherfucking dollars out of nowhere. Just started printing those motherfucking dollar bills. You guys just gave a trillion dollars to Ukraine. It's a whole, number, a whole different conversation for a different day. <laughs> Gave a trillion dollars to fucking Ukraine over the last month and a half for a war. Oh, it's not a war, is it? The, the <laughs> world conflict, overall, not, not necessarily just that we're America. we're not involved in at all. You know, like, come on, man. Like, quit bullshitting and run us our motherfucking money. That's all I'm asking. Like, I don't want the lip service. Like, like unlike a lot of people, you know, like, and I mean, me and you, Dan, we've had these conversations, right? <laughs> but, you know, I, I like shiny things. I like really, really dope fucking things. I don't know what kind of anarchist that paints me as, but I like dope ass motherfucking things. I hope, but I wish everybody would have the opportunity to access said dope, opulent things. Everybody should have access to that. But we nobody should be poor. Nobody should be destitute. Nobody should be on the streets. Nobody should be uh, mentally ill, asked out, literally and figuratively, on Sunset fucking Boulevard selling their dick for money. You know, I was going to take it there. Or, huh? or, <laughs> or any other body part for money. That took a turn, huh? <laughs> yeah, but like, it, it, it goes to say that... <laughs> Like, no, but, but ser yeah, seriously, you shouldn't you shouldn't have to do like, like nefarious things in the richest country in the history of fucking world. It's yeah, only getting richer to, by the minute. Right. Uh, period. You shouldn't have to do any of that stuff to survive here in this country. But people do. 
and people fall off the fucking map and it's only going to get worse. Why? Because you're not giving people the bare fucking minimum. Donald Trump gave us the bare fucking minimum. Everybody's like, oh, those stimulus checks were too high. Blah, 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 blah. Shut the fuck up. Look at fucking inflation. Look at these housing prices. Look at these really rent. Uh, the cost of fucking... I know you don't have to deal with this damn, but gas. <laughs> I don't even drive my car. I drive my wife's hybrid everywhere because we can't fucking afford fucking gas. And I know you can't blame that on one, one president. You can blame it on the fucking politics. You can blame it on the fucking system. And it looks like the system's got to go. Just like, I, I, just like I'm not a fan of these fucking bills that are being put forward by this two-party bullshit system. I'm not a fan of, of the fucking system Overall, period, it's all connected. Cannabis is a microcosm of the greater United States. People who are not paying attention to the cannabis industry should. Straight up. Everything that's happening in America, overall, the broad swath, the macro assessment of what's going on in the America goes a lot slower, is happening breakneck speed in the cannabis industry. And we always joke and say, oh, it's the dog. We call them dog years in the cannabis industry. For every one year you're in it, you're in it for really for seven years. Like It's really like that. It goes by that quickly as far as the legislation, as far as the company uh, bandwidth, the company uh, runways and all that stuff, as long as they're around. And it's, 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 it's quick. It's happening quick. And the crazy thing is, while Rome burns around us, the cannabis industry is the only industry that continues it remains on that fucking hockey stick moment on that inflection point it continues to go up why because it's a damn near uh, infinite resource it grows pretty much everywhere it's a fucking plant decriminalize the shit deschedule that motherfucker and let people eat or give us fucking reparations leave us the fuck alone man like we don't want to fight we don't want to have to go out and smack the shit out of people on stages and shit. <laughs> Our community is hurting. <laughs> I, saw, I saw that smack last weekend as a cry for help. No, no, no. We were doing so well. We were doing so well. <laughs> it was a cry for help for all of us, man. Like, like, nah. Like, all jokes aside, like... Our community is all fucked up mentally, it's all fucked up emotionally, it's all fucked up economically, and it's not our fault, it's your fault, so fucking fix it. And if you don't know how to fix it, give us the money so we can fix it. That's that, it. That's the point. C- call it an investment, call it like whatever the hell you need it to to get it politically done. Um, give us watch. Break, break us off them ducats. <laughs> <laughs> I want them bands make a dance. Bands make a dance. Bands make a dance. Now you're talking my era. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, re- re- there we go. We, we got a little bit of the new ones, a little bit of the old ones. Uh, Rico, thank you very much, not only just for being like a mentor for me in business things off camera, but for joining me on this episode of Power Report. Where can people find you? You can always find me at ricolemite.com. I think I have that one. Yeah. <laughs> www.thesuavelife.com, cannavision.com, or always on social media at Rico Lamite.